DW, World in Progress. With Anka Rasper. Welcome to the show and a visit to the past and present of the Bronx in New York City. It's on the northern edge of the city, a part of town known for its famous baseball team, the New York Yankees, but also for gangs and hip-hop. Buildings burn down this way, buildings burn, so we were all engulfed in the fires. It is something called urban renewal, which means moving the Negroes out. Every one of these kids are potential killers. Hip-hop for me was a way out, a way out of the street and would do things better. This area was rebuilt. The South Bronx is still suffering. We still have a long way to go. In the 1970s, hundreds of Bronx apartment blocks went up in flames. Residents blamed real estate owners for laying fires in rundown buildings. Politicians, meanwhile, blamed residents, mostly immigrants from Latin America and Africa, and city planners wanted to evict them. The Bronx became equated with crime, gangs and poverty. But people who grew up in this vibrant part of the city say the stereotype of a gang-infested neighborhood where people don't go out without a knife doesn't do it justice. Today, the area has changed a lot, with yoga studios, hip cafes and chic apartment buildings aiming to attract wealthier people. As Antje Passenheim reports, half a century after the Bronx fires, the new threat is gentrification. But a bunch of creative people are trying to rekindle the unique spirit of this neighborhood. This half-hour feature is presented by Natalie Muller. A number of heroes emerged this morning in a tragic fire at 575 East 165th Street in the Bronx that claimed the life of one man. A young boy was leaning from the window, so he was saying, catch me, catch me. So he jumped from the top floor. There wasn't no fire engines at all. What happened? What went wrong? Burn, baby, burn. Round out. We shall overcome. Those buildings burn. This building burned somewhat. Down that way, buildings burned. Down this way, buildings burned. So we were kind of all engulfed in the fires. Um, and I remember waking up one morning and there was a huge blaze. I must have been about five years old and it was just all burning. And I was just a little kid looking there and thinking, wow, like that's amazing. It just felt like, wow, what a big fire. The South Bronx has been burning for 10 years. In the 1970s, Vivian Vasquez is a child growing up there. A quarter of a million people have lost their homes, and 80% of the houses have been reduced to ashes. An entire neighborhood gets smoked out. One community turns into a ghetto. Some fires, accidentally or intentionally, are set by vandals, children, addicts and derelicts. Politicians and police blame people living in the Bronx for the fires, and many believe them. Vivian thought so too. But today she realised the people living in the Bronx weren't the ones who burned it down. They were the ones who saved it. You know, while I grew up here and lived with all that destruction, I was a young child, and I, so I just thought it was normal. You know, and over time I just knew I had to get out of the South Bronx not realizing sort of the roots of that destruction. And so now I'm kind of, I feel good that it's been rebuilt, but there's still a lot of issues that need, um, need work. 
Vivian came back here to address these issues in her documentary, Decade of Fire. I mean, I've been to spaces where people have said, oh my God, you're, so, you're from the South Bronx? And immediately I'm like, yes, I am from the South Bronx. Let me tell you a little story about where we come from. South Bronx, the South, South Bronx, South Bronx. Hector Cavajal is standing behind the counter of his coffee shop on Alexander Avenue. It's all fair trade, all organic, very trendy. Kind of like, you know, we're very Bronx, you know, I mean, I'm only wearing a Yankee hat. <laughs> There's even a motto of the day behind him. A bad attitude is like a flat tyre, he says. You don't get anywhere if you don't fix it. And that's how Hector, a Bronx native, has always approached life. He wanted to make a change, so he opened up the first coffee roastery in the Bronx. Everybody who works coffee in the Bronx leaves the Bronx. Go to Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. But they leave their community to seek an opportunity. But Hector decides to stay. As a young boy, he came here with his family from the Dominican Republic. He knows from a young age that he wants to go into the coffee business, just like his uncles and grandparents in the Caribbean. Right after college, the 26-year-old opens up his coffee shop, Thinkubator, where book readings, music and discussions with a cup of coffee in cozing city areas are meant to inspire people. The Bronx, I think the Bronx has been incubating a lot of smart minds, a lot of creatives, a lot of business owners, and people who probably feel like they were counted out are kind of counting themselves in and creating their own opportunities. And that's kind of even how I came about to be here today. Hector's Thinkubator isn't the only coffee shop around here where people drink matcha lattes or flat whites with oat milk instead of the bitter stuff you'd get across the street from the gas station. The blue fluorescent sign above it reads Gasolina against a backdrop of stars and stripes. The Beatstro Bistro lures in customers with a soul food brunch and wrap and reminiscences of the hip-hop from 50 years ago. Building cranes rise up behind old warehouses that have been converted into yoga studios and galleries. More and more skyscrapers are being built here in Mott Haven. Former city planner Andrew Freix says this neighbourhood used to be one of the worst cities in the Bronx. And it was, <laughs> it was a different world, that's for sure. Um, I remember walking down, and it was a, a day similar to today, like you know, warmer day in, in early March. And I remember walking around, specifically right down the street before most of this was built. I'm like, this is kind of terrifying. Like, I don't know who would live. Freex hails from the Midwest and says he's never seen anything like it. Even when he was deployed in Iraq during the war, he says no place ever looked like Mott Haven did even as recently as 10 years ago. You know, a lot of the buildings were, were not being utilised or they were not well kept. Um, there's vacant lots and stuff like that, overgrown lots, sidewalks were dirty, just felt unsafe. Now Freex himself is living here. His employer, a real estate investor, built a luxurious skyscraper with 47 apartments about five years ago. Friggs was the fourth one to move in. Has a nice combination of like the old time feel along with the, you know, the graffiti and the character of the neighborhood. Down the Bronx isn't on fire anymore. 
says Vivian Vasquez, but she still sees traces of the destruction on Southern Boulevard. This is a major intersection which leads to the Bruckner Expressway over here. This is a famous Ortiz funeral home that's been here ever since, I don't know, I was born. Um, very long time. There's a pharmacy that has been here for a very long time. This used to be a pizza shop. Um, and all of this burned this entire block from here, I would say, three miles north of here. Burned. This was all destroyed. Vivian stands in front of her old home. 986 Leggett Avenue. Her parents came from Puerto Rico to work in New York. They could afford to live in the Bronx. The ochre-coloured brick building looks just like it did back then, when African-Americans lived next door to people from Latin America, Ireland and Germany. Across the entire country there was segregation, but not in the Bronx, says Vivian in her documentary. At school, we sang the American, the African-American, and the Puerto Rican anthems. There was this openness to our lives and sort of this sense of opportunity and excitement. It felt like we were all the same. But city planners ultimately destroy that illusion. New York is running out of room. There's high demand for land to build on, and city planners have their eye on the Bronx. Joe Flood wrote a book about it, called The Fires. He says the city planners drew a red line around the South Bronx. Any neighbourhood that has 5-10% black or Puerto Rican population is seen as a declining neighbourhood. The federal housing agencies, banks, insurance companies, they start taking maps and literally drawing lines around them um, based on which neighbourhoods are a good risk and which ones are bad. The neighborhood had a red line drawn around it. It's a bad bet. Don't give a loan there. Don't give out homeowners insurance, fire insurance. Many poverty-stricken neighborhoods disappear in Manhattan under the motto of urban renewal. The greatest slum clearance project on record goes forward. This poor tenement area is to be used for modern apartment buildings. They have to give way to people who are better off for shopping malls and Columbia University. But this doesn't just happen in New York, says Vivian Vasquez. They had something called slum clearance, which they call urban renewal at the same time. So they wanted to renew the urban area. And in doing so, they cleared those slums and many people were displaced. Hundreds of thousands of people were displaced, particularly where people of colour live, right? African-American writer James Baldwin warns in 1963, urban renewal... That means getting rid of black people, and the government is an accomplice in that. It is something called urban renewal, which means moving the Negroes out. Getting, it means Negro removal. That is what it means. And the federal government is, a, is, is an accomplice to this fact. Many displaced people fled to the Bronx, where it gets crowded. Problems build up in the peaceful community. New York lets the Bronx rot. Homeowners let their buildings rot. In the bitter cold winter, they leave renters hanging with frozen pipes. They have to get water from fire hydrants. Because there's no heat from radiators, people try to stay warm with fires and electric heaters. Those put a strain on the ailing electric grid. 
all of those new electrical appliances could not be supported by the aging electrical wiring. Fires break out all over the place, every night, and the places that haven't caught fire yet soon go up in flames too. Homeowners make sure of that. They torch them because they learned that they could get insurance um, money from them and it was an easier way to make the money, take the money and run. They pay young people to set fires. By the mid-1970s, almost every house has burned at some point. The fire department can't keep up. The city government closes many fire departments in the Bronx. That is a live picture and obviously a major fire in a large building in the South Bronx region of New York City. Then there's the night of the fire on October 12, 1977 during the transmission of a baseball game in the Yankee Stadium, which is surrounded by fires on all sides. Millions of people witness this on their TVs. My goodness, that's a huge place. For 10 years, everyone turned a blind eye. That won't cut it anymore. But the Bronx has already been burned to the ground. The infrastructure is in shambles. Its inhabitants are being eyed suspiciously. And that was fearful. You know, a typical question was like, do you carry a knife? And I would think to myself, what? Why? <laughs> Why would I carry a knife? That doesn't sound like, what a ridiculous question. Um, not thinking that that had already been a uh, common stereotype, right? Good morning, the same old jerks going to work. Garbage men pick up dirt, the birds don't chirp. There's this nice lady I know, she always speak with her two children. This is a new element, this is a different element. Every kid carries a switchblade knife. Every one of these kids are potential killers. Everybody that lives with the colored has to move. Why? Because you're not safe walking the streets at night. You cannot leave the house. The Bronx turns into a location for ghetto gangster movies. But the people here have had enough. During the shooting of the movie Fort Apache, they start protesting. Put this man for incitement to riot, assault, attempted assault. Criminal anarchy disturbing the peace. You may give your names as arrested officers. When he's been booked, bring your prisoner to the squad room. Fort Apache, the Bronx. The fuse has been lit. Incredibly tone deaf and racist Hollywood movies like Fort Apache, the Bronx, told stories of the Bronx that were incredibly inaccurate and death of who the people were and the kind of complexity that really um, goes on in the borough. But that, to this day, plagues us. That's Rina Santos. The photo artist has encountered this again and again. Whenever someone asked me where I was from and I would say that I was from the Bronx, it would be the same exact reaction, a very negative, like, ugh, like a disgust. And that made me really angry. She says it was really hard not to take people's reactions to heart. And so when I was able to have the opportunity to do a little tiny bit uh, to share what it is to live here, the reality of what it is to live here, I jumped at it. That was how the Instagram account Everyday Bronx came about, where locals confronted the stereotypes themselves. Rina asked them to send her photos from their everyday lives. She posts one each day. Not one image can encapsulate the history, the beauty, the resilience, the struggle of people who live in the Bronx. 
but a collection of images, especially a collection by different people, not just by one photographer. Over the past nine years, there have been over 7,000 posts. The account has nearly 50,000 followers. Rinna has put together 300 of the most liked photos in an exhibition on display in the South Bronx. A lot of people come into the neighbourhood, take a photo there and leave. And it becomes a backdrop to other people's stories when, you know, we're not a backdrop. Um, We are a real community and we're a collection of many different communities in the Bronx. She says people who want to visit the Bronx should be open to see something other than the stereotypical things they came to see. The photos in the exhibition show children in the arms of their parents, sunsets behind the train tracks and the Cross Bronx Expressway that brutally divided the neighbourhood in the 1950s. Street artists, fruit stands, scenes from everyday life. All the photos have one thing in common. They show dignity. I want people who live here to feel proud of where they're from, to understand that they have a humanity, that they have a beauty and a strength, and that just because other people don't understand um, and don't want to give humanity to the people who live here, don't want to give complexity, it doesn't mean that we don't have it. And so I witness it and I want to show what I see. And what she experienced when she moved here from Puerto Rico as a teenager to her father, a composer in the Bronx. The community that embraced me, that welcomed me, even though that I wasn't born here, I found a community that was funny, talented, intelligent, strong. A community that did so much with so little. With all the I throw this switch. Pump up the volume, pump up the volume. While some decide to form committees to rebuild their houses in the 1970s, others launch a new genre of music, hip-hop. A new generation of people who were left behind break their silence with graffiti, rap and breakdancing. Fifty years later, the Bronx erected a monument to celebrate the birth of hip-hop. I thank Almighty God and I thank all you hip-hoppers. It's an important moment. Even the eyes of the toughest rappers well up with tears when the foundation was laid for the museum two years ago. DJ legend Grandmaster Flash gets emotional. This is a really special... The 65-year-old has helped shape the making of hip-hop in the South Bronx. I took a vinyl, listened to the entire song... Pioneers like Grandmaster Flash, Cool DJ Herc and LL Cool J use vinyls like no one has before them. Scratched beats, vinyl records playing at the same time, turning backwards. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's about fighting stigmas, fighting back against being invisible, says Bronx hip-hop pioneer Fat Joe. This hip-hop music came out of oppression. It came out of people suffering. It came out of the Bronx looking like Vietnam. The buildings was blown up. And people had to make something out of nothing. The movement started in 1973 in the apartment of cool DJ Herc. The first B-boys show up at his parties to show off their breakdancing skills. Yo, what's up, Blastmaster KRS-One? And then there's rap which spreads like crazy, says the son of the director of the new museum. 
Kyla Bukana is a kid from the Bronx. South Bronx, the South South Bronx, South Bronx. This is a time period where we start to innovate our sound, our lyrics, and become a culture that we love. But by doing that, there's some crazy events that's happening, unfortunately, like Central Park 5 being falsely accused in New York, Nelson Mandela finally being free in South Africa, the violence in the communities, the war on drugs, things like that was happening continuously. But we still use this culture as a platform to say, hey, government, hey, community, hey, world, it's time to start fixing things in our life. The bigger the boombox, the better, he says. And, you know, that's how a lot of people pass on their messages, with the art on the trains or with their cassettes and playing the cassette in their boombox to play their music, right? And getting the word out that way. And the exhibition in the shopping mall across from the construction site is supposed to do just that before the museum opens next year. Again and again, stars drop by. You know, we grow up listening to uh, music, listening to all of these greats here. Rapper Mayno was born into hip-hop culture 50 years ago. We're talking Rakim, we're talking Slick Rick, we're talking... Uh, you know, everybody, D-Nice, KRS-One. So we, we grew up, you know, in the culture, you know, in the streets, trying to find ourselves and, you know. He spent 10 years in prison for his role in a kidnapping in the war of drugs. Hip-hop for me was a way out, a way out of the street, a way out of some of the things that we had started to involve ourselves in and, um, you know, gave us the opportunity to do things better. Sometimes I know you feel crazy In a small park nearby, Rockefeller is rapping her old song. You know, call myself Rockefeller because I was rocking the fellas. She laughs. It had nothing to do with the billionaire clan. It had nothing to do with the wealthy family, but the way that I was dancing was leaving an impression, and it became something that I aspired to become somebody who could rock the fellas, make them pause, make people think, oh my goodness, that's a woman throwing her body around. Back then, the now 52-year-old was one of the first B-girls in the Bronx and demanded respect from the guys. Well, when, as a child, my family always had music playing because being of Puerto Rican descent or Latino descent you always have music. It's just part of the culture and it's part of when you immigrate, that's the one thing you bring with you that you can play and it reminds you of the past. Music was all around her when growing up. I mean, I feel like there were poor neighborhoods in all of New York City, but I feel like in the Bronx, because there was this, this effort to remove blacks and Latinos from the borough, because there is this um, non, it's like a relentless wave of you're, we're going to burn the borough, we're going to unleash crack, there's going to be AIDS. It's like wave after wave of you're not going to last, you're not going to survive. It's almost like a genocide or a destruction that's going to happen to you. They had to be tough to survive here, says Rockefeller, who goes by Ana Garcia in her everyday life. It was difficult to dance on the street for the first time because I didn't know if I could measure up to the other boys. It was all guys, and I would be the only girl, which, again, I'm not af I wasn't afraid of it, but now this is like the streets.
Rockefeller remembers her parents' fear when she was sneaking out to learn how to dance where she could lead and not the guys. First in clubs, then on the streets. Uh, mass incarceration, you know, you could get locked up in the late 80s, uh, early 80s, for just holding a joint of marijuana. You get locked up. You can get 12 to 25 for possession with intent to sell. So it just always felt like us, especially here, we were going to be eliminated. Always on the police's radar that was cracking down hard during that time to make New York safe from crime. They mainly targeted blacks and Latinos. You can't do this. Women aren't strong enough for this. Give it up. And the better I got, I think the more it mortified them. I'm like, oh no. And I kept teaching. I was teaching other girls. So I think I was almost letting them know there's more. There's more people, more girls coming. So get ready. They stick together at parties and build each other up with hip hop. Rockefeller says she loves to break dance, even today, and its message. When those young boys and, and women were creating what would become hip-hop, the message was, I am worthy of respect, I am worthy of love. Give me a chance, just look at what I do, and let's talk. She's passing this message on at the renowned university New School in Manhattan. In the Bronx, she offers workshops to young women where she tells them to be proud, be strong. You are the new Bronx, she tells them. Right now, the Bronx is continuing to grow, says real estate expert Andrew Fricks. From the rooftop at his apartment house, he points to the skyscrapers around him. So all these new high-rises are, are built in the last two years. Um, this lot over here is for sale. You see all those are new high-rises over there. All these big developments are breaking ground and being finished. Freix is proud of this development. The industrial plots of Mott Haven are being turned into living quarters. In the next five years, 4,000 apartments are being built here. So there'll be 4,000 new units built in the next five years in this neighbourhood. Where? Where will they be? Along here and then all the way up to 149th Street. You know where the uh, Hip Hop Hall of Fame is being built? That's like the farthest north it'll reach for now. But for most people from the Bronx, they are way too expensive. A monthly rental for a three-bedroom apartment costs around 5,000 US dollars. But on average, renters only make $35,000 a year. The Bronx is no longer on fire, but many fear gentrification could be the new fire that pushes people out. Freix is aware of that. It's a constant, constant topic, for sure. Um, not sure... I, I don't think there's a, there's a right answer to it or right response to it. I know that it brings money into the community and, and builds up infrastructure, but it also dis displaces people. So, The Bronx is still among the poorest neighbourhoods in the US. Over a quarter of the people living here live below the poverty line. New buildings can't cover up the poverty, says documentary filmmaker Vivian Vasquez. So many of us who grew up here are happy to know that this area was rebuilt. Um, nevertheless, um, while we see the bricks and mortar, the South Bronx is still suffering from some social issues. Um, we still have a long way to go. And photographer Rina Santos shares that sentiment. 
The first photo on her Instagram account, Everyday Bronx, shows two African-American students studying. I would love for future photos of the Bronx to include more green spaces. And so I think I would love to see more of those type of images, you know, more solar panels, more gardens, um, talking about the Bronx River, more connection to nature. I would also love for there to be also more images of all of the incredible young people that live here. that was photographer Rihanna Santos, one of the creative people trying to bring new life and pride to the Bronx. You can check out the photo project Everyday Bronx on Instagram and find out more about the documentary mentioned about the Bronx fires in the 70s at decadeoffire.com. The author of today's report on the Bronx was Antje Passenheim. Natalie Muller voiced her report. World in Progress will be back next week. You can listen back to this and other editions of the show at dw.com slash worldinprogress or go to your favorite podcast platform for more. Also, do check out our sister shows on The Green Fence and Living Planet. Thanks for your interest today. From our studios in Bonn, Germany, goodbye from today's team. My name is Anke Rasper. Take care. Take care.